Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. This will be the first of many sermons in the book of Philippians over this next year. Now, this letter is known for its central themes of joy, humility, and fellowship in the gospel. Several of these things we'll see in our passage this morning. Throughout the letter, Paul rejoices in the work of God that he's doing in this congregation and exhorts this body to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. And this is my hope for us, that we as a local church will grow in thanksgiving and joy, even as we exhort one another to continue in the faith. So let's now turn our attention to the word of Christ as we read Philippians 1, verse 1 to 11. Listen carefully to God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your, lo your love may, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace that you freely lavished on us in the gospel. Lord, we thank you for these precious words that remind us of your steadfast love and your work of redemption in us. Lord, we ask that you would fill our hearts with thankfulness as we once again come to your throne of grace. May you have your way with us and complete the work which you have begun. We pray that your spirit would illuminate your word so that we as a body may approve what is excellent and be blameless for the day of Christ. Increase our love for you and our love for one another through the preaching of the gospel in Philippians 1. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, when you start a new book, it's always helpful to know some of the context. What's going on? So let's just briefly think about the setting of this letter. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the latter part of his life in ministry. So if you recall the timeline from the book of Acts, Paul has already completed his missionary journeys. He's already been bound in Jerusalem and now has been shipped to Rome and is currently in prison. You see that in Philippians 1, 12. When the church in Philippi heard about Paul's imprisonment in Rome, 
they sent one of their members named Paphroditus. They sent him to minister to Paul and deliver a care package, his finances. We see that in Philippians 4, verse 10. Now, this was a common practice for this body of believers. You see, the Apostle Paul had planted this church when he first came preaching the gospel in Macedonia. You'll see that in Acts 16. So out of their love, the church at Philippi regularly partnered with Paul in giving and receiving. Philippians 4, 14. They did this to care for his needs, but also to partner with Paul in the advance of the gospel through his ministry. Now, while Epaphroditus was in Rome ministering to Paul, he fell ill near to death. So after he recovered, Paul decided to pen this letter and send it by the hands of Epaphroditus. In Philippians, God thanked, Paul thanked God for their joint partnership in the gospel, and he instructs them to joyfully continue in the faith as they wait for the return of their Savior. It was God's work in the gospel of Christ that bound Paul and this church together in loving partnership. And it's on this basis that Paul details three marks of gospel partnership here in verse 1 to 11 at the beginning of his letter. Gospel partnership must be marked by humility, joyful thanksgiving, and affectionate prayer. These are our three points for the sermon. Our partnership in the gospel must be marked by, number one, a humble greeting, number two, joyful thanksgiving, and number three, affectionate prayer. Let's think about that first point. Point number one, a humble greeting. Look again at verse one to two. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice how the great Apostle Paul introduces himself with humility. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This greeting is unlike any other in the New Testament. Noticeably absent is Paul's title as an apostle. Most scholars credit this to the mutual love between Paul and this church. You see, unlike the church in Corinth, where Paul's apostolic authority was under attack, the church in Philippi joyfully submitted to Paul's leadership. So Paul introduces himself not as an apostle, but as a bondservant of Christ. He also names Timothy because he hoped to send Timothy later in order to continue his work in his absence. Now, this word bondservant is best uh, interpreted as slave. During those days, slaves had no rights or privileges. They belonged to their masters and did whatever they said. And here, the great apostle Paul introduces himself as a lowly slave. He's called to do whatever his Lord beckons to do, even to endure great difficulty in prison for the sake of the gospel. He knows that he has been bought with a price. Beloved, do you view yourself as a slave of Christ? In order to walk in this kind of humility, we must daily put on the mind of Christ, he who humbled himself 
taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So friends, I want to ask you, do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then remember Christ and humbly serve one another. He has purchased you with his own blood. And he now calls you to humbly serve him however he ordains, however he chooses. This is wherever God has you in your circumstances right now. So every time you serve through faith in your current circumstances, you are serving Christ as a slave, as a bondservant. This is true whether you're changing a diaper or picking up bulletins or praying for a hurting sister. You are a slave of Christ, so humbly honor him with your life. Now, it was this humility of Paul that enabled him to remind the Philippians of their true identity. Did you notice how Paul addressed the Philippians? He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. While Paul calls himself a slave, he calls these Christians saints. The word saints, or holy ones, is a title reserved for God's covenant people, especially in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. And in Christ, God has set apart the Philippians as his holy people. Well, this is true of every believer. That includes the elders and deacons, who he mentions in this text. Friends, we are all our first saints in Christ as fellow members of God's household. That's our identity if you are a Christian. Our citizenship is in heaven through the finished work of Christ. Not where we're from, or our ethnicity, or our language, or our job, but we are saints in Christ. And we are saints in Christ through the gospel. It is in the gospel that God makes us holy ones. This is why Paul concludes his greeting with his shorthand summary of the gospel. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ we receive God's grace for the forgiveness of our sins. And we receive God's grace to continue to walk in obedience. And it's the result of grace that we now have peace with God and peace with one another. That's what it means to be in Christ as a local church. Beloved, it is God's grace and peace that informs our relationships with one another and with other partner churches. Our conversations should always be filled with grace. Is that how you greet one another every Sunday morning? Is God's grace in your hearts and on your lips? Or are you quick to judge others in your heart? Maybe saying a passing joke that will suddenly tear others down. Friends, every Sunday we have the privilege to humbly and joyfully remind one another of God's grace and peace. Also, in a few weeks, we'll have the joy to welcome many partner churches to celebrate our 10th year anniversary. What a great opportunity to greet them with grace and peace.
Let's the gospel inform how we greet one another and serve one another in Christ. So first, gospel partnership is marked by humble greeting. Second, gospel partnership is marked by joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. So we'll see this in verses seven, uh, sorry, verses three to seven. So after his formal greeting, Paul begins with his thanksgiving in verse three. He says, I thank my God. Now, this reference to my God reminds us that Paul's thanksgiving is personal devotion to God. This is a matter of worship. Thanksgiving is a matter of devotion and worship to God. This is an acknowledgement that God is responsible for everything good and praiseworthy. This is why we direct our prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God in corporate worship. Or think about that scripture reading from Psalm 138, where the psalmist thanks God for who he is and what he has done. So Paul sends these, spends these next several verses praising God. But notice the occasion for Paul's thanksgiving in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You see, the Apostle Paul is moved to worship every time he thinks about the church at Philippi. Just think about it. Paul is in chains. And every time this congregation comes to mind, he's moved to thank God for them. Honestly, is this how you view other members in this congregation? Or is your default to grumble and complain against others? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but this church must have been a, a near-perfect church. They didn't have any major problems, like the church in Corinth. But that's not true. This church was full of selfish ambition and conceit. We see that in chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. They grumbled and disputed with one another. We see that in chapter 2, verse 14. They were tempted to put confidence in the flesh. Chapter 3, verse 3. Even sisters who labored side by side with Paul, Iodia, and Syntyche were at odds with each other. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Friends, this was far from a perfect church. There were many issues in the church and many difficulties and challenges. Yet Paul's posture was to thank God every time he remembered them. Is that your posture every time you remember the members of this congregation? Now, brother pastors, as we think about Paul's pastoral heart for this body, I want to ask you, are you moved to thankfulness every time you think about this body? Or are you tempted to complain about the immaturity of that brother or the difficulty of that sister? Brothers, our first instinct, because of the gospel, should be to praise God for each saint that he's entrusted to us. Jesus Christ shed his blood for this church, even those who are hard to love. His church is precious in his sight. And our first instinct, when we think about every member in this congregation, is to thank the Lord. And this is true for pastors, but it's also true for all of our members. Are you regularly thanking God for one another? Now, as Paul's thinking about the Philippians, he is now moved to prayer. So look at verse 3 to 4. I thank my God and my, all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you, all, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. So as Paul thanks God, he continues in worship by offering joyful petitions. The word he uses for prayer can be translated as supplications. So a prayer of supplication is a request made to God for the good of others. Prayer of supplication is a request made to God for the good of others. This is like our pastoral prayer. Now, Paul is going to tell us more about this prayer in verse 9 to 11. But for now, I want you to think about Paul's joy in praying for others. Paul, being in prison, rejoiced in prayer for this congregation. Every time he thought about the Philippians, he was not moved to envy or self-pity. Rather, being content in his circumstances, Paul's delighted, he's overjoyed to pray for their benefit. He does this even in suffering. He's more concerned about their spiritual good and edification. You see, Paul was clearly delighting in Christ. He's finding joy and contentment in Christ. And out of that joy, was, was overcome with joy to labor and prayer for others. Friends, one way to evaluate whether you're content is to examine your prayers. It's really hard to pray for others when you're discontent or consumed with yourself. Beloved, do you regularly pray for others? Do you find it joy to offer requests to God for the needs of this body? You know, every week we get an email with several requests. If you don't know what to pray, then read through that Grace Weekly email. You'll find plenty of ways you can pray for the good of others in this congregation. Now, Paul's thanksgiving for the church is not aimless or baseless. So he remembers and thanks God in prayer, but it's not baseless. He has good reasons for why he's rejoicing as at the thought of this congregation. So we'll see these reasons in verse 5 to 7. The first reason is their partnership in the gospel. Paul rejoices in their partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 5. Uh, but let's start back at verse 3, which is help us see the logic. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because, the reason, reason number one, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul rejoices in their shared partnership in the gospel. Now, this word partnership is the Greek word koinonia, which can also be translated as fellowship. And he says that he rejoices in their koinonia, their fellowship in the gospel. The gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. This is the message concerning Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross. You can find a good summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the gospel is the good news of this message, Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. 
And Paul thanked God because they enjoyed this gospel partnership. They enjoyed this fellowship together. And it was from the very first day. That's the day when the gospel first came to Philippi. Remember, Paul was led by the Spirit to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Paul was unknown and an unwelcome stranger. But in Acts 16, we hear how Paul preached the gospel to Lydia. Now the Lord opened her heart and the rest of her household, and they were saved. And just like that, the gospel produced a living, breathing local church. The gospel brought strangers and enemies to be friends and fellowship with one another. Paul surely would remember the joy of those first conversions as he thinks about them and prays for them, as he remembers the planting and starting of that that congregation and the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the planting of churches is a glorious thing. We should work towards and praise God when he establishes a gospel-preaching church in a city or a region or a language for the very first time. So Paul rejoiced in their gospel partnership from the, very, from the very beginning, but this partnership was ongoing. It was until now, Paul says. This was an ongoing fellowship or partnership in the gospel. It didn't stop when Paul was ushered out of town by the magistrates. This is because the fellowship they enjoyed is ultimately a work of God. He's not dependent on circumstances. And this is the second reason, and really the main reason, for Paul's thanksgiving. Look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The main reason that Paul can praise God is because their partnership in the gospel is a work of God. Just listen to Paul's flow flow of thought here. He says, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel, being sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You see, the main reason Paul enjoyed fellowship with the Philippians is because God was at work in both of them. The same God who opened Paul's blind eyes on the Damascus Road is the same God who changed idol worshipers in Philippi into worshipers of God. Paul's confidence, his confidence for the Philippians is in the triune God of the gospel. Let's think about how God works salvation in every believer. You see, it begins with God's plan of redemption. God the Father sent God the Son to accomplish the work of redemption through his death and resurrection. And when Christ ascended, he poured out the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And as the gospel is proclaimed and heard, heard with words, the Spirit takes the word of the gospel and applies the work of Christ to our hearts. It's through the preaching of the gospel that he regenerates us, causing us to be born again, so we can repent and believe in that gospel. And the moment that you believe in that gospel, you are justified before God and united to Christ in his body. That's that partnership or fellowship that we enjoy with Christ and his church. And Paul says that all of this is a work of our sovereign God. 
He begins a good work of salvation in you if you are a Christian. And Paul's confidence and joy is that the one who began this good work in them, that he would complete it. That he would complete this work until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is that day when Christ will return in glory and raise us from the dead. This is that final eschatological redemption that we all long for as Christians. And Paul says that God will complete his work of salvation until that final day. That means he's working now. He worked in the first moment you believed. He's working now. He'll continue to work until that day. Paul's talking about our ongoing sanctification. He is sanctifying us until we are glorified. Think about that passage we read in Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is able to present us blameless. He's able to keep us from stumbling. He is at work in your present sanctification. He's at work making you more and more like Christ. It is God who's both able to do it and sovereignly wills to do it. And how does he accomplish this? How does he grow us and sanctify us? It's through the same gospel that saved us at the beginning. It is God's work in the gospel that both saves and sanctifies and finally glorifies us in Christ. You see, salvation from beginning to end is God's gospel work. Beloved, this should give us great confidence and great joy as members of this body. Christ has died and Christ is risen. God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee of our final glorification. So guess what? You can have confidence that you can grow in godliness. It is God who works in you as you seek to please Him in obedience. So don't turn to yourself. Look to Christ. Trust in His good work in you. Friends, we can preach the gospel knowing that God will convict, comfort, and sanctify His people. You can counsel one another, knowing that the gospel will have its way in a believer's life. You can pray with confidence for gospel partners like Dennis Boris, knowing that God will surely keep and sustain and use that brother. You can pray with joy for one another, knowing that God will strengthen weary saints and grow struggling members and keep us all in the faith. You can thank God for the gospel partnership that we all enjoy in Christ. This is the confidence that we have in our triune God who is working and completing in us his good and pleasing will. Now, the final reason that Paul offers thanksgiving to God is the evidence of grace that that gospel produces in the Philippians. So he has confidence, so he's praising God because of their partnership, because it's God's work, and the final reason is because that gospel produces fruit. Look at verse 7. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Beloved, this, the Apostle Paul dearly, dearly loved this body. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. He has a abiding love in the gospel. He's like a, a newly married husband for, for his bride or how a mother loves her newborn child. He loves them and is willing to serve them to the point of death. He's being poured out as a drink offering for their faith. Later in verse 8, he says that he loves them with the affections of Christ. And the reason that Paul holds them in their, his heart this way is because they are fellow partakers of grace. They are participants of God's grace in Christ. See, every, every Christian is united to Christ and are under God's grace. All of your sin has been nailed to that tree. Friends, in Christ, all there is is grace. Beloved, do you hold members of this congregation in your heart? We love one another, not because of anything good in us, because we stand, but because we stand together, united under the blood of Jesus Christ. We stand together around the throne of grace as fellow recipients of God's grace, both now and forever. This is our eternal standing in Christ. And this grace that we enjoy together does something in a Christian's life. It produces fruit. Did you notice that in the text? He says, for you are all partakers with me of grace. And what does that grace do? Or how do you define that grace? Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, God's grace enabled this body to readily participate in Paul's imprisonment. That's what they were doing when they sent Epaphroditus to care for Paul's needs. Remember, in those days, prisons had to pay, prisoners had to pay for their own food. And the gospel, this grace, produced in them a desire to care for Paul's needs. They were concerned for him out of godly affections. But this was not only about benevolence, but they also desired to aid Paul's ministry for the advance of the gospel. They stood with Paul in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This is both Paul's preaching ministry when he was in Rome, but it was also their ministry in Philippi. Remember, Paul was beaten, imprisoned, and chased out of town when he arrived in Philippi. Yet even when Paul left, the Philippians continued to faithfully preach the gospel, even in the face of persecution. They defended the gospel with words. That's what Paul means, that you continued to preach the gospel faithfully. This grace produced in you a desire to meet my needs in prison, but also to continue with me in defending the gospel there in Philippi. Beloved, Paul praises the Lord because he saw evidence of grace in the Philippians. God's grace was working in them, Christ-like love and boldness, as they sought to care for the needs of others and preach the gospel. 
Friends, if God has worked his grace in you, if you're a Christian, then you will bear fruit. Let's think about those two areas of money and evangelism. God's grace will produce in you a desire to be generous in giving. Now, I know that our body excels in caring for the needs of others. But I want to ask you, do you think the same way about giving for the ministry of this church and for other partner churches? Are you willing out of your love for Christ and the grace that he's producing through you, are you willing to give not just for our good, but for the advance of the gospel here in Sharjah and throughout all the UAE and to the ends of the earth? Is that how you think about your budget? I want to partner in giving to others. The church in Philippi was not rich. We'll see in 2 Corinthians 8 that they partnered with Paul in giving even in their poverty. We don't have to be a bigger, rich church to do this. This is a fruit of grace in you. Do you generously give for the good of others, benevolence, but also for the advance of the gospel through the preaching ministry and the planting of churches? Or think about evangelism. Think about evangelism. Every Sunday we boldly proclaim the gospel. But do you boldly stand and defend, defend the gospel wherever God has you? Any defense of the gospel requires you to speak words. It's only through the preaching of the gospel with words that sinners can be saved. Think about the person who shared the gospel with you. They, even though it might have been hard or awkward, loved you so much through the grace that was produced in them, they told you that you're a sinner. You're under God's wrath. But you can be forgiven if you trust in death, Christ, and resurrection. Are you defending, standing, proclaiming the gospel at your workplace, with your neighbors, or with your family members? God's grace will produce in you a desire to share the gospel and to tell others the good news. Friends, if you are a Christian, then you will bear fruit. God's grace will transform your thinking and your desires and your living. But if you do not see any fruit in you, fruit of love, fruit of generosity, fruit of sharing the gospel, then you need to ask yourself, are you deceived? I want to to encourage you to examine yourself whether you really are in the faith. Examine what you understand and believe about the gospel. That's where it starts. A good book to help you do this is called What is the Gospel? So examine what you believe. Also examine to see whether your fruit is equal to your profession. Do you see fruit of the gospel in your life? Another book to help you do this is called Conversion. So if you're, if you're new here or you'd like to read one of those books, then come talk to me after the service. I'd be glad to help you. Friends, if you're not a Christian, you need to know that you are outside of the fellowship of God and his church. You remain not under God's grace, but you're under his wrath. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ bore God's judgment on the cross He died, he was buried, and he conquered by rising from the dead. 
And he did this so that sinners may receive God's mercy and grace. So turn from your sin. Humbly acknowledge that you are under God's judgment. And turn from trusting in your good deeds and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believe in the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I know you hear that every Sunday. I know you children hear that from your parents all the time. But you need to yourself to repent and to believe in Christ. And you will receive his mercy and grace and forgiveness forever. So gospel partnership is marked by a humble greeting, joyful thanksgiving, and finally, affectionate prayer. We see this in verse 8 to 11. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So Paul reaffirms his love for this body, even calling God as a witness. This is just Paul reinforcing his love for them, that he yearns for them with the very affections of Christ. You see, Paul's love for them, out of his love for Christ, reflects Christ's love for the congregation. Paul loves this church like Christ loves this church. He yearns, for, he yearns for them with holy affections. He's been so transformed by the gospel that his longings and affections are like Christ. This is what it means to, be, to have Christ-likeness or godliness. And what is Christ's greatest desire for his people? That we might grow in conformity to his image, that we might be like him and know his love. And this is what Paul wants for the church in Philippi. He wants to remain with them for their progress and their joy in the faith so that in him they may have ample cause to glory in Christ. So he yearns for them with these holy affections, willing to continue in a difficult ministry and suffer loss for their spiritual maturity. Paul wants them to grow in godliness. He wants to help them in that sanctification so they might be presented complete on that final day. Beloved, do you have the affections of Christ for one another? Are you eager to suffer loss for the gain of a brother or sister? Gospel ministry is hard. When I say gospel ministry, I mean the ministry of this congregation, not just the pastors. It's exhausting It takes hours of conversations and counseling. It takes time out of your busy day to pray for a suffering sister or to comfort or to call a straying brother. Is your heart so consumed with Christ that you yearn for the spiritual maturity of one another? Or are you more concerned about yourself? It is only the gospel that can convict us of our lovelessness and selfishness and transform our hearts with the affections of Christ. To desire the spiritual good and the sanctification and holiness of one another. And this is what Paul does. His love and affection leads him to pray this way for the Philippians in verse 9 to 11. Look at verse 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul wants the Philippians to abound in love. Christ love. Paul wants them to grow in Christ-like love just as he loves them. So he prays for them that they would abound or grow in love. But did you notice that this love is not undefined? It's not defined by feelings or circumstances, but according to a certain standard. It's according to knowledge and discernment. Paul prays that their love would grow with knowledge and insight. Now, what does Paul mean by knowledge and insight? Well, this knowledge is clearly grounded in the gospel and consistent with God's word. But we're helped here by that first purpose statement in verse 10. So look at verse 10. He says, So that, this is what he prays, that they may abound in love, with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent or what is best. What is excellent or what is best. Paul prays that they will grow in love with this understanding how to approve what is good and excellent and pleasing to the Lord. You see, this is not just a knowledge of the gospel, but how to apply the gospel to every area of life. This is what Paul calls in Colossians 1.9, spiritual wisdom. This is the ability to discern what is honoring to the Lord in any situation. Just think about it. It's not loving to approve something that is not helpful to someone's spiritual growth. That's not loving. That's not true love. For instance, let's say someone came to me asking counsel, and they asked me if they could take a new job at Starbucks. But I know something about this member. He had a previous addiction to coffee. He's drinking like 20 cups a day. And he doesn't have the self-control to say no when tempted. So would it be sinful for this brother to take that job? No, he's not sinning by working at Starbucks, would it be loving for me to approve, to encourage him to take that job? No, it wouldn't. Because it would not help this brother grow in godliness. It would not be for his ultimate spiritual good. You can apply this example to all of Christian life, in marriage or parenting, how we use our time or money. We're called to discern what is good and excellent and pleasing in our lives and as we counsel one another. But the more we grow in conforming our minds to God's word, the better we can love one another in this way. And what's the end result? That we all would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the end of the to the, the end purpose or result to the glory and praise of God. Friends, when we grow in this kind of gospel love, we will grow in discernment and we'll grow in purity and holiness. We will learn how to apply the gospel to our every situation in life. We'll grow in the fruit of righteousness, that is the fruit of the spirit that comes to us through Christ. We'll grow in knowing how to fight sin, how to avoid areas of temptation, how to counsel one another what is excellent and pleasing. 
when our love grows in knowledge and insight, we become more and more like Jesus. We become more like Him and our love for Him and our love for one another. As we grow in maturity and God completes the good work that He started in us. And we do this all to the glory and praise of God. Paul's ultimate heart for this congregation is their spiritual good for God's glory, for God to be honored, to be, for God to be worshipped. Paul sees the spiritual growth of this congregation as a matter of worship and honor and glory to God. Think about that as you counsel one another with the gospel and seek to grow in your sanctification. Friends, this is how Paul prays for the Corinthians, and this is how we must pray for one another. You know, one practical way to do this is to pray for this congregation after your Bible reading. So take the membership directory and just day after day pray for one page of that membership directory. After you read the Bible, the truth in God's Word, pray those truths for those members. Pray that God would increase our love, our understanding of God's Word. Pray that we would grow in holiness and righteousness. Pray that God would sanctify us and complete that good work, that we might be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Pray that God would receive all the honor and glory and praise through our mutual partnership and fellowship in the gospel. Friends, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So let's pray for one another and endure with joy in light of that final day where we will never cease to praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for sinners like us. Thank you for the grace that you have poured upon us in the gospel. We thank you that we are no longer under your wrath, but under your salvation and grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to delight in Christ, to run this race with endurance, fixing our eyes to Jesus Christ. Pray that you would help us to endure in trusting the gospel, applying the gospel, and helping one another to endure in faith. We pray that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise. In Christ's name.